0: Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcasts, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey. For engaging more deeply with your life, I provide stories for my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means. The world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection, as we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello and welcome back to Belonging the Podcast. This is Becca Piastrelli here coming to you from yet another rainy, misty morning on the hillside here in Northern California. I'm having one of those moments of, oh my gosh, is this ever going to end? When will the sun come back out? When will it feel like spring? Which I have to, I have to know is, an ancestral feeling. That transition from winter to spring is never linear. It looks different for each of us, no matter where we live. And knowing that spring does come, she always comes, and that this rain is good. But whoa, I'm having like an over it experience right now. And also really grateful for all these early blooming plants all around me that are showing me the hints and little peaks of spring i'm really grateful right now there's a camellia bush right in front of me and saw some apple blossoms yesterday on a walk and a magnolia tree and feeling so grateful so grateful for those blooms and for the hope they're giving me and despite my kind of grumpy intro to saying ugh i'm so over winter I'm super excited about this episode today. I decided a little bit ago that it was time to start inviting people onto this podcast that can share perspectives that are different from my own. There's this whole idea is the older we get, we realize the less we actually know. And I think it's really important for us to remember that all of the wisdom we glean and all of the knowledge we have is very much rooted in our own experience of it our own perspectives, our own lineages, our own privileges, where and who we learned from, our teachers. And so I thought particularly with this deeper conversation of belonging to your body, to the land, to your lineage, to community, that there is a lot of more paints to color this in than just my own. So today we're kicking it off with Ash Johns, who is so cool. I was introduced to her by uh, my friend, Nisha Moodley. She is doing ancestral connection and healing work, and she is a woman of color. So she has a way different perspective from me. And the moment we were connected, it was incredible to have these deep and powerful conversations about what it means to be a good ancestor, what it means to connect with the bright and well ones before us what it means to be connected to the land. We had such a good conversation kicked off by talking about a relationship with linear time, which if you've been following me for a bit, you know, I'm really wrestling. Is it wrestling? It kind of feels like wrestling. I have been in a deep, let's say initiation with my relationship with time. And Ash and I really dropped in with that, which felt so good. Uh, she's talking about she lived in Bali for three years and started a business there and realized as a woman of color, some of the things she was doing there was just perpetuating a system that her people have suffered under to the Balinese people. And so the brave and important decisions she's made because of real, that realization, how she had a lifetime of work in ancestral healing. She grew up in a very uh, Christian church community. And always felt a connection to spirit, and yet really struggled with how what she saw and felt was different from what the community rules and the Bible really shared with her. And as a result, really felt otherness, really felt like she didn't belong. We talk about the collective's disconnection with the land and how there's a deeper conversation where, you know, spirituality meets racial justice around whether or not we can talk about our connection with the land and her perspective on it. That's my cat in the background moaning because she found a toy mouse, excuse that. She shares some of her ancestral practices, which are very different from my own, and what it means to work with ancestors on behalf of the collective. And we have this really interesting conversation about how even if the ancestors are bright and well, they may not have the liberation and well-being of all beings in mind and how to work with that in the spirit of being a good ancestor. She is so cool. I am so excited for you to listen. So without further ado, well, here is my conversation with Ash Johns. Yeah, yeah,
1: tomorrow. And then it's like 17 days later and then like, no, I came by and you're like, that was definitely a week later, not the next day. So... Yeah, I just, I try now that I have a little bit of a luxury to do that. I just work in the, like the feeling or the energy of the day when I can. And my partner will be like, what'd you do on Tuesday or two days gone? I'm like, what? What day is that? When was that?
0: I actually am starting to have that experience more and more and it's been a little bit unsettling. But I think it's, it's this work we do, you know, mm-hmm. it's like dropping into ancestral time where it's like linear time. Can we just like put that aside? I mean, you can't fully. But not knowing what day is, it is is like a start, I feel like. I wish we could. I wish, wish that. we could put linear time totally aside. Yes, yes, I do. I, I wish that
1: – I love celebrating New Year because of all the energy and the hoopla around it. But if it were my ass, we would go to just energy year. Oh. Like – I love the lunar. Like I'm always celebrating the new month and like mm-hmm. my birthday is the new year. I just get to do mm-hmm. it twice. Cause like the Gregorian new year. Yeah. Yeah. But I would, I wish we would go back to that. I think that was natural.
0: Yeah. There's something about the beginning that is so just for humans, just like the promise of the beginning, the spring, the sowing of the seeds, the promise of what's to come. And I've, I, I loved learning. And so in my ancestral tradition, Celtic, the new year is like hot on November first, mm-hmm. um, Samhain, and then you get Gregorian New Year, and then you get like Chinese New Year, <laughs> you get, the like Zodiac New Year, like yeah, it's fun to be new. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think I guess if we weren't able to go back just off of seasons and the energy of of the natural flow of Earth, right? If we don't go back to that then yeah, the alternative is to just celebrate them all. It's like a cultural, like every new year, you get a new year, you get a new year. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And what we resist is like the end of it, right? The end of the year, the, what am I saying? My friend, Erin Duffy Oswald, um, she teaches moon gardening. She talks about how we love to plant seeds, but it's hard for us to make it to harvest. I just thought, isn't that the truth? Like doing the work to get to harvest and then, and being with the end of the cycle, whatever that looks like Mm. love the newness, but can we embrace the end of the cycle harvest to, you know, putting the garden to bed or the death, the death portion that leads to the rebirth. I thought, Oh
1: yeah. You know, what's really interesting about that. I went straight to the hard work of the in-between, not of the harvest. Mm. Totally. And I think that being African American, there is some ancestral remembering of that, you know, of working the fields, of tending to, there was no rest. So I think of the hard work being the in between, not the fruits of the end. And it's really quite interesting because that's wow. Yeah, look at that, right? Yeah. Because uh, as an athlete, so I ran track in high school and I rode crew in college, I've always been a sprinter. Let's get to it. I can do the quick work, you know, it's heavy and it's painful, Mm. but the fruits are kind of right there. It's like 39 seconds of excruciating pain, I'm gonna die or like three minutes or whatever. But the longer term process and the in-between is where that's been my edge of growth.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Well, beautiful connection to ancestral memory. Of like, was Harvest ever really able to be celebrated? Right. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, I pressed record already because I knew we were getting into it. (laughs) We just (laughs) roll right into this juiciness. Mm -hmm. But I want to formally say hello and welcome to Ash John's. My new friend, many thanks to Nisha Moodley for connecting us. I was looking to have a deeper conversation with someone who is in this ancestral healing work and also with an eye on um, social justice and spirit. And um, we both have Nisha in common, so she connected us. So I'm going to read your amazing bio, which is, you're a transcultural ancestral healing guide, psycho-spiritual coach. Ceremonial priestess, strategist, speaker, and author, your upcoming book, Paths to Freedom, a Black woman's candid field guide to creating freedom in an oppressed world, is due for publishing this summer. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Ash is passionate about the evolution of the planet through creative living, freedom development, and ancestral healing for personal and cultural change. You've spent your entire life so far exploring the intersection of human behavior, spirituality, creativity, and business. You've led over 40 international women's retreats, That's wow, true. bow down, focused <laughs> on these topics after leaving a lucrative career in advertising and branding. Oh, cool. I was in that world too. More, most importantly, Ash believes freedom and healing for all can't come in isolation. It takes being in relationship. Showing up in courage and with compassion for collective change to come. Oh yeah. Welcome to belonging. So so pumped. We actually had like a pre-chat. Yes. To drop in and really connect instead of just like scheduling and hello and recording. We really want to drop in together. So it's so good to be with you again today. We're recording on a Saturday or whatever day it is. Right. In flow. <laughs> And I'm just so grateful for your time and energy and expertise and being here. Thank you, Becca. I just was, yes, major shout out to Nisha. Thank you, Nisha, because
1: uh, her putting us in touch and mentioning us to each other, and that led to connecting was just an answer to a prayer of sisterhood and diversity in this work and being able to like really explore and hold space and be inquisitive and all that we both know. Um, again, the coming up together makes it where we expand and can do more. So I'm just so thrilled that our last conversation or intro, we're just bubbling all over. At least I was. I was like, oh my <laughs> God, <laughs> I bet you, you know? So, yeah. It's good to be here. Thank
0: you. Mm, yeah. So I'm like, where do we start? But I would actually love to know if, if you'd be willing to share your experiences being in Bali. And then coming back here and the piece about integrity that you've been exploring in the places you go and where you live and the work you do. Yeah,
1: that's a really great place to start. So, um, and we'll go many different places in this, in this Mm -hmm. share, this exploration, because it's, it's been had, it's being had, I'm living it. And now there's something else that's coming out currently, but um, you've been living in Bali for three years. And the story of how I got there kind of goes back to my childhood of being born in Detroit and raised in Chicago and all of the what I would say stereotypical um, oppressions of someone of color, particularly a black woman or a black young girl. And I remember being a little girl being like, I'm going to do things different in my family. You know, I'm going to have financial freedom and a a white collar career and make all this money and do all these things. That was really the beginning of ancestral healing for me because I knew I was born in my lineage to do something different, to help heal and move us forward. The language we would say, I think you remember, and advertising is right upward mobility, you know, these kind of folks. And so that that led me into a career, which then led me into – financial freedom, which then led me to wanting to travel, which then led me into going further into cultural explorations and remembering my spirituality, my priestessness, things that were a part of my childhood of mysticism that I had buried away. And then eventually got me to Bali, which was after only traveling there for my, it was my golden birthday. I was turning 28 years old on the 28th in February. And, uh, I went there to honor and say, I'm ready to open up for transformation and to mark really what my purpose is. Like, what am I supposed to do next? I'm so unfulfilled in advertising. Something else has to happen. So I went to Bali for two weeks by myself um, and some change. And when I got on that land, it was like, oh, you're home. And I was like, what is this? And there was so many serendipitous, like confirmations and pushing and just things and people dropping into my life. And uh, I got actually a reading while I was there, and this particular uh, quantum s- mechanic, quantum healing, quantum transformation, psychic. She does everything. I don't really Whoa. know how to describe. She's amazing. <laughs> Those are cool words, right? We'll go back to right. She just works in energy field and tarot cards and all these things. And so she goes, "You're going to move somewhere really, really far, really, really fast." I'm saying six weeks tops. And I was like, you know, lady, I move fast, but whole reading was dead on until, <laughs> until that. And it was the moment I got back to Chicago. Spirit dropped right into my heart. You're moving to Bali. There's work for you to do there. So eight weeks later, I moved there and I was running a women's retreat. That's a whole nother conversation. But what I'll say is from the time that I got to Bali, working with women from all over the world, coming into this rich and saturated and activated and like just beautiful, energetic land with spirits and ancestors and deities and, you know, lusciousness and just so much to give, so much abundance. I really started to sink into what was there for me to remember and why. And that kind of goes into spiritual ancestry. But it wasn't until I fell in love and needed to come back to the States unexpectedly that something really interesting started happening. And that was, if I believe in spirituality and that spirituality can help bridge and heal and take us to spaces that the world and the collective needs to elevate to in order to create harmony or reinstore harmony. Yet, from a cultural human perspective, we have all this discourse and disconnection. What's the bridge, like what's going on? And what I've been arriving at is this, um, I guess it would be separation of being, or the missing element of being very radical and how we apply what we truly feel in spirituality to the actual human lived experience. So Mm -hmm. to give an example of that, it is as a black woman who is the descendant of folks enslaved, is looking to create freedom, to have her voice, to have money, abundance in her money, to heal traumatic experiences relative to family, dysfunctional family relationships, and so on and so forth, finds herself full circle in Indonesia, running a business, meeting amazing people, falling in love, having all this abundance, having a property there, passive income everywhere. But it is on the backs of the locals. Hmm. It means that I am now in new age, Modern colonizer who's left my homeland, even though it's not my home, but through the generations of my ancestors being here, we don't know where our home in Africa is quite clearly, fully clearly. So I've left my homeland to create opportunity, and I have, but now there's this grabby energy. There's this wait, if I'm back in the States, how do I hold on to my business? How do I hold on to my property? What am I doing? And like this scarcity fear that's sinking in. And I was like, wait a minute this looks familiar y'all. Mm. Is this perhaps what the Europeans have been experiencing from leaving Europe and coming into the states and elsewhere in the world? Is mm. this what First Nation folks are feeling? Have been feeling? Is this what is, I mean, we can go through every colonized space. I am now even as a person of color doing the same thing. So how do I how do I reconcile finding my own freedom without oppressing others. Mm. And just because I'm a person of color, an empowered woman of color who is doing this work doesn't give me the right to then negotiate, well, I'm a little bit different or I do this. I'm like, that's the language I have heard as a black woman from people of whiteness, of being like, well, I give back to charities. And I'm like, yeah, but the locals don't look very happy about that, Ash. They're still kind of mumbling under their breath because you're still a foreigner was opportunities and exploiting the land and the culture just as anyone else. Mm-hmm. So in that, there's a lot of questions that are coming up relative to, is globalization even really great? How do we go back to ancestral healing and wisdom in a way that's not <laughs> you know, ripping up all technology and saying, like we can't go that. I don't think we have the capacity as a world to go mm-hmm. that far back. But what is my edge of balance? And that can become a very slippery slope because we go into rationalization. And when we start to rationalize, the Western mind comes in. And now we're in the same cycle. That's where I'm sitting right now. So actually, I'm just a few days of traveling back to Bali this week. It's the, it'll be, it's the end of February. And I spend the whole entire month of March honoring Nepi, which is the holy day. I go back every year for this. And after NEPI, it's a 24 hours of silence, even the airport closes and we honor the ancestors and we clear the energy in the islands, lots of prayers and possessions and ceremonies and all these beautiful things. I'm clearing out my villa. I am relinquishing it. I'm giving up passive income. I am saying goodbye to a place that birth helped to nurture and birth me into the priestess that I am today. Um because I know in my spirit it's the right thing to do. And not right as in righteous, it is if you really believe this and you want everyone to be well, what am I willing to do in my own personal life to help orchestrate, illustrate, inspire, stand in that truth and trust? I'll take a pause there. (laughs) I'm just writing that down for you.
0: (laughs) Ooh, no, it's, a, it's a hard one though. Oh, it's a really big one. Oh, yeah. It's like hard to say it's even harder to do. And yet, this is the work we're all needing to do, right? It's so much easier. You and I were talking before about like kind of the explosion of social justice meets the spiritual community that we're particularly seeing online this like yeah. deep tension. Yeah. And I just, I really wonder about like the performative nature of social media mm. and for even myself, like ways in which I have participated in that and um, like grassroots where the rubber meets the road. That's a, that's a phrase I said a lot in my corporate life, like where the roots meet the soil. That feels better. Right. Uh, what, how can we check in, in our own personal integrity with unspelling the fog of colonization, the legacy of colonization. And I find it really interesting you as a woman of color, being able to look at the way you're participating as in new age colonization. I think that's really important. And something that actually got me thinking about these like enclaves of new age spirituality around the world, you know, the like the Balis and the what are the other ones? The here, oh, where I live, the Peru. Bay Area. Peru. Peru. Oh, yeah. Peru. Yeah, Glastonbury. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and how, you know, what's the unconscious or not looked at harm being caused in that desire for freedom, for spiritual and ancestral freedom? Yeah. Yeah. To piggyback yeah. on that, mm-hmm. we want to play with our old
1: corporate words. A lot of times it becomes this justification process right? That's like, well, I'm being spiritual and I'm really immersed in the culture. So that means it's okay. And I'm here to like touch my spirit and we're all living in unison. And it's like, right. But to whose benefit fully? Because let's be honest, most, most people when they're going to these rich and right and like culturally intact places for spiritual development are not living the life of a local. I was living in a beautiful villa that no local is going to be affording regularly, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it'd be different if we, it reminds me of the movie Avatar. He gained the respect when he became like them. Like he's like, I'm fighting the battle. I'm in this. I know there's still some limitations of what I don't, but I'm eating what you eat. I'm sleeping where you sleep. That's different. We're not doing that. Right. I was not doing that. Right. So um, I think that's the biggest differentiator. And to be a woman of color... I've seen sister friends and no knock, but this my full perspective on this is again, whatever our ancestral trauma and experiences are, doesn't give us the right to then extend that pain to someone else mm-hmm. or to say because I was enslaved and we're just now getting, you know, in these spaces and have these monies and can we're organizing and, and speaking these things and having access to doesn't mean that I have the right to go and inflict the same pain on someone else that was inflicted on my own people and also my first nation brothers and sisters. So mm-hmm. that one is the, the more as I've had conversations with folks and they're like, nah, I'm not with you sis. And I'm like, that's cool. I feel that. in me.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a nuanced process to come into integrity with all of these factors we're working with, with capitalism, with patriarchy, with racism, I mean, this makes me think about environmental impact and sustainability, and how I had my MBA in sustainable enterprise. So I was like really into environmental regulation for a long time. And there was this whole issue with like these developing countries, China, Brazil, India, where it was like the G8 or whatever were like, stop, no more polluting. You have to stop. And their response was, but you got to. Right. You've done it in our country. Like you've created prosperity in your economy based on these polluting practices. Do you remember the industrial revolution? Why can't we? It's like, right. I hear you. That feels really unfair. And also we're killing, like, you know, it's this really interesting dynamic where the righteousness really comes in. Yeah.
1: I almost, with that example, I almost think of, you know, if we had it our way, so with my limited no, I mean, I'm totally just advertising communications, liberal arts kid. Like, <laughs> I'm all up in that life. So, some business, though. I'll give myself that. If it's a full stop, and we say this is not good for the culture, for the people, for the lineage, for the land, for the animals, for the non human beings that are also in this space, honoring those that are not of humanness, we're going to stop this. And yes, y'all did it before, and you have an amazing amount of abundance in order to balance this out. Don't y'all want to share a little bit of that over here?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, what can be created that helps? And that's, I guess, this is, this is where like the whole capitalism and uh, comes into be because as soon as you say, would you like to share some of that, then it's like, well, what's the benefit for us? Right. Does it make sense? Like what can we get out of this that we'll give some in order to get something back and this ends up being a conversation that um, came through while I was working in, in Bali I would run these workshops and have different healers from around the world come in and work with groups of, of women and women identifying people in their spiritual reconnection journey and sometimes it would you know making the, the work accessible someone would come and say I really can't afford it and I would say what's your edge could you go all the way to your edge and then some. Because in the edge and then some, that's where the actual activation of effort occurs. And I see that also in social justice, racial justice here, again, and even with my own experience, we want to get to, we'll do the sacrifice up to what's comfortable, which let's be honest, isn't a sacrifice. It's only a real, again, activation of change when we feel really uncomfortable. We're like, oh my God, this is painful. I'm not you know, out in the streets homeless. Let's not get too crazy. <laughs> Cause you do right. have to take care of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not about self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. It is about what, what values, how do I apply my behaviors to the true values and let it be a, a full deep exchange? I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to give some love and credit to Ayana Young who has for the wild podcast, who I will just thank for consistently, messaging in her podcast that really helped me like for empire to fall we have to give stuff up there is no way around it like straight up like i'm not going to sugar we have to give something up but what you get because yes. that ex- reciprocity desire for what am i getting in return is a more just free world yes what are we all getting what are that. we all getting yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so when things get really uncomfortable for me in conversation about race and environmental justice and and capitalism, I, I really call upon my ancestors and I think about the societies they lived in, the harm they either caused or were at the receiving end of, and then the resilience, we were talking about this before, the resilience Mm -hmm. they cultivated, like I can handle this discomfort, right? Like we're not going to end up on the street, we can look at this. We can have these conversations. We can redistribute wealth more. We can do this. <laughs> like right. we are, we are okay. We're alive, right? We're in the most prosperous time. And we can do this. So yeah, that just really helps me. I remember you said that when you're running and you're getting tired, you call upon your ancestors to oh, help I do. You run to run more. Yes.
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I think about the moment my ancestors were running for freedom. And I'm like, If they can do it, I can do it. And this is like, I'm health because I need to do this. Even though I ran track in high school, I am not being super athletic now. (laughs) Is this really as painful as I think when I, when, as I'm believing it to be, if I think about what has um, been endured and overcome through my, through my lineage now, this gets really interesting and totally gets into our work because ancestors are well and unwell those who are unwell can do well, helpful things with an agenda attached or just with a small, you know, scope of, of interest that's normally self-benefiting for them or, or the lineage, but doesn't take into consideration those outside of just the lineage. And those who are really well and crossed over into the well space tend to care about more than just the lineage, have the capacity of doing far more when we invite them into that space. So there is the double-edged sword to me. I think of resilience, especially as a black woman, of yes, it's beautiful that I can think of what my ancestors have gone through in order for me to be here today that'll make me finish this next two miles or lift another weight or endure a difficult conversation or speak up when voice needs to be heard. Wonderful. The other end of that is I'm exhausted. It's not okay to keep pushing, to Mm. keep going up, to do over- You know, lifting more than my mass, right? So it's constantly like feeling into, I don't want to harbor and hold on to and call upon the things that also burn and hurt me. And Mm. and that negotiation is constantly inside of me because they are inside of me
0: Mm. and around me. Mm. Right. That's bringing up so much for me around, around that negotiation. And I think it's, I think there may be some confusion with people who are dabbling in or coming into ancestral connection, ancestral healing around um, those boundaries and clear intention, you know, like who are we calling upon and what are we calling for? And I think there's such a fear of looking back for so many, for many understandable reasons I think it's beautiful that you're saying that you're always navigating that tension and really getting clear with yourself on who am I calling upon, what am I calling for, and and what is enough. Yeah, and what am I working towards? Yeah.
1: Some of the language I like to use is um, when calling upon them, I ask for what's best for me and the collective. And every single person who's involved and everyone who's involved within them. Because, you know, we have ancestors who are like, our job is to preserve the lifeline. Right. And so anything that threatens that is, we're not down for that. (laughs) And when you think about that relative to race and economics and availability and ancestors of knowledge and and, um, privilege and access and all these things... It starts to open the playing field that's like, hey, I'm calling upon help, guides and ancestors, for me and those around me, everyone who touches this project, everyone who is applied to this, everyone who is bidding on this. Let it all work out for all of us in the best and highest. It evolves the culture, evolves my purpose. Mm. Then they're like, oh, okay, okay. I got to do some other work. Hold on, hold on. We have a conference call. Hold on. (laughs) Let me meet up with their people and meet up with their people. And then we'll get back to you guys on that. You know, we're working on it. Yeah. It's a totally different experience. And then in that sense, uh, we're actually let a little bit off the hook in the sense because they're working on the behalf of a collective as opposed to a behalf of just a line or one person that they get to still interact with the world through.
0: Hmm. Are you working with any particular ancestor right now? I know that's a very personal question, but <laughs> a curiosity. Yes, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I have found, how about I speak from my experience? Yes. I have found that I, in my own experience of unspelling my whiteness and and working through the lineage pain of, you know trauma and alcoholism and all this i there's like specific near ancestors i call upon and then i sort of jump over <laughs> a huge group that just doesn't yes. feel well yeah and or i'm not it's not our time and i'm you know i'm really working with these like far many 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 generations back yeah. nameless faceless ancestors that i can really feel but you know don't have them on a tree you know, I don't have right. a family tree name. Yeah. So I'm wondering what your experience, if you feel called to share anything around that, just because yeah. that's, that's felt like a really important distinction to make mm-hmm. instead of the generic talk to your ancestors. It's like, what does that mean? That's a great voice, by the way. <laughs> 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 Call them hither.
1: Um, yes. So the general approach for those who aren't super deep in the work, it is when you talk about ancestors, they're thinking of known names or you know, things like that, most recent history or recent knowing and or stories been passed down and they were really great at money. And you're like, great grandpa, such and such, you know, things like that. Yeah. Not the best approach. <laughs> right. Because we don't know the state and where those beings, where those souls are standing, right? And they're very much so right. We are still living the most recent past right now. So I'm cautious of calling anyone up. I don't believe personally in my practice and those I work with calling someone up specific name forward. But wow. I do, what's really helpful is doing the specific work techniques, I should say, I'll say techniques that allow you to create the space for super well from whenever, normally as you described also far, 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 far. Back (laughs) and letting them come, and you cultivate um, because they're well and bright and meaning, and you've really stated why you want to be in touch and where your heart is aching, and cultivating a relationship with them, and asking you can ask their name, and if they do share it, then then at that point when you know that they're all good and well, and they understand why, and they're saying yes, I'm capable and I'm willing, and I see the state, then they're like running. You know, they're running to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks for reverencing. Thanks for asking for this. I see. And I see where we dropped off Mm -hmm. and they can help do the work of the Mm in-between. So, um you know, sometimes folks get into ancestral healing and they're immediately putting pictures and names on altars and doing all these things. And now you have all of those unwell, super potent things standing right and living right around you all the time. And that is very, and I won't lie, I, I did that previously. And mm. there was a lot of times it was very beneficial, the strength of those people, but it also came with the traumas that were unmetabolized, mm. right? And there there came, so I'm also in, talk about the different ancestors, I'm also in touch with my cosmic soul spirit, like where my fully come from in the stars. And so with that, I'm, I'm really in touch with what my calling of coming into this earth and into this lineage as a whole, because I've been brown, a black woman, multiple times, but that soul is very connected. There's this interesting balance of, of wisdom and youth and, and who I am. And so there would be this conflict, full, real, live conflict within myself of soul star ash knows exactly and her name is different, but it does start with an A. And then, <laughs> or my name. And then um, this, this me that's connected to this lineage and those ancestors that live within me that are blood. They're like, uh, hold on. I know that you're bright and light and have this journey. Also, you've agreed to be with us because of this. And so that negotiation is happening in real time. And when we start to do ancestral healing and my experience, not only with myself, but with folks that I work with and you see the various tapestries of what made us us, it really clarifies what we can do and why we're having the the issues that we're having and who's overshadowing. Like I've had to have literally have them have a conference and yeah. I'm like, it's conflict resolution. And then the activation is in the behavior and our choices in this world. So I think I'll say this before I take up a pause um, to invite the conversation where else it goes. There seems to be this polarity or like pendulum swinging between the personal lived experience and then the collective, you know, with the work Mm -hmm. and looking out into the collective and wanting to have the massive awakening or shifts or awareness, but then being like, oh, it's the lived experience. And really it's both all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. And that is hard to hold the two. But we go into the personal experience and we're like, what's within is without. So I'm just going to go within. But when we only go within, there's only things we can grab that's available to our minds of within. Without everything that's an issue out in the world, it's also within me and it's connected in these various lineages. So I do need to look hard and deep and then pinpoint it back and within me and my personal lived experiences. And then even further back within the lineage and then finding someone who is well and good to help with that within the line.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that really speaks to the work you're doing with completing in Bali. Yeah. As you are looking within, working with the lineage, looking out oh, in the world yeah. of now. And that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's, I, I honestly love it. And it couldn't have been <laughs> presented to me any other way than how it, it's so perfect, even in all the painful times. <laughs> like puddles of pain of being like, wait, what, what, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I also experienced moments of not just Bali, but traveling to Peru, traveling to Costa Rica. I went to my ancestral lands in Germany and the messages that I got at every space was very important. And then the last one was like, no more, no other lands working just with the African lineage that came over and to be enslaved. And then we will finish all of that up. And then we're granted to go elsewhere. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And that this is the new assignment.
0: Okay. Mm. okay. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I'm so glad you're talking about activated lands and the role of mm-hmm. lands in this work, which is part of my work, right? I take these women to ancestral lands and we commune yeah. with the sacred sites and it's talk about needing to like work with who's well and create boundaries. It's very intense and deep work. And, and also rec- I really appreciate you talking about, ancestors beyond like a human perspective Mm -hmm. from the cosmic perspective from the land perspective, part of my desire in this whole belonging work is for us to recognize that the trees are relations and the rocks are relations and the waters are relations and that they flow in us and we flow in them. And you know, we all compost together. So yeah, I wanted to say that and I'm interested in, So when you talked about Bali, I've been to Bali twice and I had that experience of like, whoa, fire and whoa, truth and damn discomfort. And oh, this feels really good. And feeling that that land was indeed activated and then going to ancestral lands in Ireland and England and feeling not quite Bali fire, but definitely like ancient stone, like ancient stone pulling me down, but in a way where I was like, I'm coming. I am ancient, all of these feelings. And then, so in um, October, I was in the village of Avebury in England, it's near Glastonbury, uh, stone, a stone circle completely surrounds it. And it's very powerful. And they have these two things called the wishing trees, these beautiful trees where the root system is on top of the soil and everyone's tying the clouties or the little wishing um, ribbons all around it. And it's, it's heavenly. And I was sitting there and I thought, I thought about a standing rock. And I thought about Devil's Tower, which isn't even the the indigenous ancestral name of it. So I realized that even calling it Devil's Tower could be harm-causing. Thinking about the sacred sites around the world, whether they are of my lineage or not, and in ways they have been I don't know if you wouldn't call them activated. I'd love to know what the term activated means to you. But what came through to me was like, oh, this site is being held <laughs> and, and contained and lifted up here in like Southwestern UK. And we're putting a pipeline through <laughs> one in South Dakota. And thinking about the ancestral ramifications of that,
1: yeah. you know,
0: and it's very overwhelming it's very overwhelming because I I know a lot of my ancestral work has to do with being on land and being with the land and to know like, well, I live here on this, you know, stolen land on the territory of the coast Miwok. And so how can I be in integrity living here? Yeah. And I think about this, what are the sacred sites here? Well, they're probably, they probably have a subdivision on it. It's, it's, It's just something I'm really being with. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I uh, Yeah. So what I know is through the various traumas inflicted on the land and how we as humans have become disconnected with our relationship of land and on all of the elements, especially of Mother Earth, it is to me the, actually not just to me, to a lot of elders and and folks of um, practicing many different spiritual lineages know that that's the ultimate wound that has created this domino effect of ills we have in the world. And so while Bali is very activated, it's also going through its own issues, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like this patriarchal thing going on, but it's also a lot of feminine energy and the dark and the light balance is literally coming to life every day on the street. So capitalism's coming in, all of this, you know, growth, blah, 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 more, more, more streets. All these, yes. Uh, Yep, multiple offerings all throughout the day. Mm. And people literally stopping everything to be like, must put this offering down, must pray to the dark, the light, to everyone, everything. And that's the reason why the land stays activated. And other cultures around the world who have that feeling that we we feel it right away is because of those things, right? So when I've gone to Europe and uh, it's very sterile, And the Americas, right? We go to certain places and can feel something. But the United States, it's, I have to really conjure up and speak to the land and the elements to say it's safe, to say, I want to work with you. I'm honoring you consistently in order to feel the energy and the activation and the protection and the relationship to be had. And uh, it was through a trip that I had, um, (laughs) and then it got confirmed by someone else who went on a different trip to Ireland, or not to Ireland, to Iceland where there are ancestors, well ancestors, and deities and fairies and other spirits, caring, powerful, rooted in this old earth knowledge that we all used to share on this world that are hiding away mm. because we are so disconnected and so destructive. Since that separation, they've been like, we're going to be tucked away <laughs> and we, are, we come out And speak when we need to, when the offerings and the relationship is shown and we can feel the heart of the person and can drop this knowledge and make it available. And so it's interesting when song and dance and ritual and singing, yeah, song, song, singing, song, and offerings and all these various things to show we're here to connect and I'm wondering what wisdom is here for me Mm. and the response thereafter that occurs.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's... um I'm trying to remember the teacher I credit this to. I think it's Mila Prince, the woman who married the bear, who first shared with me that what has been able to fly beneath the radar of empire is folk magic and folk tradition. So the songs of the people, the dances of the people, the food of the people, the stories of the people, and of the of otherworldly beings, of the of the animals, of the stones, of the plants, of of the myth. The myths that these people hold and so when you said the singing and the offerings i think you know empire didn't quite crush it all in the way that that's the way it can be activated and it's so i'm remembering in bali just seeing offerings everywhere and feeling feeling my own um reverence reverential experience coming into me which felt very much like a remembrance like oh i know how to do this too i'm not balinese and i know how to do this too. but it's in us Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, aspects of that is uh, not needing to be taught it from a mental, from a Western mind of, oh, I don't know how to do it their way. It's a remembering inside of us that no matter what land we were on,
0: we would always
1: do this. And if it's not done quote unquote properly or to that land or that spirit keepers liking, they will let you know. They will yes. visit you if you are opening to it. And so there I was like, oh, I got this all wrong. I was trying to be all elaborate. Again, my Western thinking mind was like, I'm trying to be all right. elaborate. And I'm like, ringing the bell 27 times. Yeah. And like, I just want the rice and some, some, uh, little candy. You can even keep it in the wrapper. Cause here I am like ripping everything apart and trying to put in this mandalic like design. Yeah. And they're like, you're doing too much. And I was like, oh, word, got it. It wasn't accepted. Okay. Is it now? It is. Cool. You know, just inquiring that. That in itself is an activation of our intuitive remembering and connection to spirit and the land and then to ancestry. I often have people, especially if they are of color or of African descent, um, be like, you know, white folks are always worrying about the environment and we have people dying on the streets and getting killed in grocery mm-hmm. stores, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I know, I hear us. Like, it is a cultural thing of being like, white people care more about dogs than blackness. Like, what, what right. is this, right? right? Mm-hmm. The truth, though, is on top of that, that is true. And when we connect to the land, we connect to our hearts. We can be compassionate. We come back to the humanity. And Uh if we can do that, it helps us extend to see the plight of our brothers and sisters, regardless of gender, race, culture, economic abilities, so on and so forth. So I'm like, let's go to the land, decompress, forget the West. I'll meet you where you're at. Let's get on these flights. (laughs) Let's honor. Let's ask to go first. And then let's see what happens and bring it back. Bring it back to where we live. I can't run away to Bali anymore. I have to be on the land that needs the healing relative to my ancestry. So Mm. it's like going to get filled up and doing some work to open and then coming into integration and steeping into it and sharing.
0: Yeah. That's really the focus of my ancestral pilgrimages where I'm like, yes, we are having a magical mythical experience in Ireland. I truly, but we are all going back to places that are not our ancestral homes? What are we bringing back with us? How are we being good ancestors in that way?
1: That's right. Yeah, Yeah. I really love that. I'm curious. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to sign up for one of your, I've got Irish in my family. Uh Uh-huh, you
0: would be most welcome.
1: I think I need to go. I really, well, when I'm cleared, Um, it's not time yet.
0: Right, I (laughs) would say, you've got got strict orders. (laughs) (laughs) When I give my approval. I'll follow up with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said in the beginning, uh, you had a childhood of mysticism and I got major chills. I'm wondering if you want to share any more about what that means, because I can feel that maybe some people are listening are like, did I have a child of mysticism or was I a silly little kid who loved Disney? Like what is, what is that? Yeah, I believe, and I want to say this is Picasso
1: or someone uh, that's really important that I can't remember said this. <laughs> and that is um, we are our truest selves when we were children. We knew yes. exactly who we were, who we are, why we came here, who we were meant to be, and our imagination was right. And then we've been programmed into this world and this life. And yeah. so um, I'm always, you know, advising people write down, and I'll get further into my story around this, but write down all the things you used to say you wanted to do and all the things you did as a kid. That is the easiest way to reconnect to the truth of who you are and remember your spirit, your intuition, your freedom, your essence, just by going through that list and reactivating those things or getting to things on the list that you never did because of, again, programming into this world. So for me, I grew up Pentecostal Christian, y'all. Like mm. straight up, like Bible belt, like beating you, b- fire and brimstone, all white, long dresses. And speaking of tongues, laying on the hand, holy water, which later on I came to realize with one of my first spiritual teachers who was in that church of an elder woman, um, that there was a lot of African spirituality even there that was hidden. Mm-hmm. Conjure mm-hmm. and herbalism, yes. and, right? yeah. Yes. And so I would go to church. We'd have these revivals. And I would see and feel spirit. And I'd be like, yeah, that's real. I hear what they're saying. I I hold codes and I see language and symbols and things like that. Always have as a child. And I'd be like, totally get that, but can't get with this Jesus thing in the middle. I just don't understand. So I'd be perplexed. I'm like, I see spirit. That's real. I I like when I speak words and I see them around and I have these dreams and people visit me at night, whether they were benevolent or other, because that also happened. And I used to sleepwalk and talk. And my mom would be like, what is she talking about? Talk about being a priestess. I used mm-hmm. to talk about scrolls and spells and where's my cipher. And I would do this motion. Like, You can't, can't see my hands right now, but I would do this motion of like a staff. It looks like, you know, like Gandalf. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a ruler, an empress. Yes. And so um, that was always around, and my family would say that I would do these interesting things, like writing things down and burying them and Mm. things like that, but it was completely against our Christian background, Uh. and I always was into tarot and stones and um, crystals and what's your birthstone and what's your birthday and doing all these things, and so um, (laughs) one time we were at a revival, and the preacher, the deacon person who was delivering the message was like, there's a witch here, and I was like, oh, shit. How they know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm around, like, can someone tell? Like, wow. Do you do? Yeah. And so they Whoa. would come up and they would, prophecy would come through and it would say the same things that spirit and ancestors were talking to me in my sleep. We're telling me mm. stories about it. And my mom would be like, we need to get you more prayer. You need deliverance.
0: Wow. And
1: like give me a, a, an anointed hanky for protection because they would be some really intense spiritual experiences at night. So yeah that was always there and then as a teenager I I was like I can't take this I cannot keep seeing things and hearing things and passing things through my body I just want to cut all that stuff off and so I did and I didn't get back and remember my abilities until I want to say I was about 21 ish and I was just getting into advertising and I was uh <laughs> I met a creative director who looked at me and said are you ready to remember And I was like, remember what? And he didn't know that I started studying metaphysics, metaphysical sciences online. I was doing it just like, I don't know. I want to just, I feel, a. I remember some things. And he's like, oh "Oh, yeah, you're ready. And I started training with him. And yeah, going two hours up north. I was living in Manhattan. I would take the Metro North two hours through the Poughkeepsie line and study trance work and tarot and divination and calling on entities and
0: Hmm. yes, all of that good stuff. So That's, that's the journey. (laughs) Whoa. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is really powerful. I I have a curiosity, which is, did your uh, Pentecostal Christian sort of community in any way, did you have an experience of being othered or not belonging, or did that create any sort of tension in you claiming this magic that was within you? Absolutely. I never felt like I belonged.
1: In fact, when I came across your work, I was like, oh my gosh, she's speaking all the language that I understand of being mm-hmm. other, mother, of being yeah. like, no one fully gets me what I see. And they're trying to, they see the specialness and the powers and the, you know, the, what is it, the um, idiosyncrasies, is that how I say it? I haven't mm-hmm. used that word in yep. a long time. <laughs> I forget got it. <laughs> Right? Of me. But it was always within the context of use that gift for the Lord you know, and I was like, I'm cool with God and the universe. I just, you know, this other framework is not quite working for me. And um, it would be where my voice and my work And within the church would always create an energy shift within the space. And people would want to come to the altar or want to seek prayer or want to come to a particular service. And um, they were, you know, guiding me towards that. Like, this is your gift, so it should be used in this way. And it just never felt quite congruent. And I have a lot of conversations of being like, "Uh, who can I talk to about this? No one? Okay. They're going to think that I am possessed, that I am doing
0: dark magic, which, yeah, it's not. Right. No, there can be a real sense of danger. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. that.
1: Yeah, but uh, for sure, in my family, my whole life, as I've gone to different places and had various readings and worked with different teachers, the, it's been consistent. Of you come from a lineage of priestesses of women with a lot of, of power of medicine women, and along the way, certain things have been forgotten. And so there was no belonging around in my immediate family, but I knew I carried something special that I would see every now and then in my grandmother or in a distant cousin who would mm. say, oh, yeah, we always talked about that. But, you know, we just, we just put it underneath the rug. Now that I'm more tenacious with sharing and I'm and compromising and way more unapologetic, <laughs> yes. um, I'm starting to learn much more of that. I've always belonged. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. We're all making our way back. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like that one. <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you so much for being here. I could talk to you for hours and hours. Okay. I'm just wondering before we complete, like is there that thing that needs to be said or spoken or expressed? I find I usually am like, and another thing. So I... <sighs> I offer this space to you and your wisdom and whatever you feel needs to be said to complete this. Thank you. Thank
1: you for that. Um, Three things come to mind. Great. (laughs) (laughs) One is um, I really honor and believe in and I'm working towards experiences and spaces like this where we come together to say, Here is walking through the rocks and the sticks and the stones and the thorns and the mud and mapping back to reconnect in order to lift up. You know, it's like the hard work, the whole cultural traumatic work that will get us to unity consciousness. And these type of sisterhood experiences allow us to start doing that work. So I know it's really difficult um, and we can be very scared, but as if we can lean into that courage and that compassion and the willingness, it's it's incredible and I, I love that we can have this experience together and in your space. So,
0: yes, thank yeah, you We for have that. to do it together. Yes.
1: Second is thank you for you. <laughs> I blazed through the podcast. <laughs> I just was like, yeah. And I really enjoy being able to appreciate people and our connection. So I'd like for everyone to hear that and know that is amazing and you're amazing.
0: Thank you, I feel very seen by you and it's, it feels like a deep, and it feels like butterscotch pudding, which is a funny thing to say, <laughs> but it's like ancestral food, you know, it just feels really <laughs> sweet and yummy and tender and yeah. vulnerable and thank you. Yeah.
1: And the third is um, a gratitude to our ancestry that has lived and our ancestors, that has brought us into this moment and this space and this time on this lands where we both are and where everyone is listening, where you're at that is allowing this to occur. These are seeds, these are plants, this is drops of water that will turn to ocean. And um, I wanna honor those who have allowed us to be here who are backing us at this very moment so thank you Mm,
0: Yes, thank you beautiful well i am how do people find out more about you and your magic and your work but yeah what do you have to offer them yeah
1: so you can find me on my website at ashley a-s-h-l-e-y johns j-o-h-n-s dot com and there's a download there of my 2019 offerings. I update that, so just mosey on over, subscribe, let's have a conversation, um, and you can find me on the interwebs on social media at Ash Inspires.
0: And I'll put all of this in the show notes too. Probably lots of things from our conversation today. Ash, so grateful to chat with you. So grateful for our new friendship and connection. And I hope to see more of you in the coming days and good luck completing everything in Bali. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm looking forward to the entire unfolding of that. And thanks for having me here today.
0: Mm -hmm. See you soon, sister. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts. And if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.